What's up, podcast listeners? It is your host, Profound Matuszewski, and this is episode 302 with Dr. John Berardi. He's another figure, mentor, and person I look up to that has modeled my career in the fitness industry. He's the founder of Precision Nutrition and honestly one of the best speakers I've ever seen and heard in my life. So I am so excited to bring this episode to you guys because it's been like a lifelong dream to talk to Berardi and he just makes things so simple. He makes things just so easy to understand and grasp and you feel better. It feels like you, like when you talk to him, it's like a therapy session, honestly. You'll have a better sense of your life and who you are and he somehow translates that to fitness and health and nutrition. So without further ado, here's Dr. John Berardi. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me for the first time ever, the greatest, Dr. John Berardi. Say hello. <laughs> the greatest. <laughs> you like that, eh? I, I do. I, I, I should, you should tell my family about this. Yeah. Uh, certainly the listeners, but definitely my children need to know that I'm the greatest and may get better behavior and reverence around the house amazing um so i always like to start the show with like easy flowing questions that get the juices flowing so the first easy questions what's the current book you're reading current book that i'm reading uh it's called the testaments and um you're canadian yes yes i am yeah okay so margaret atwood wrote the very famous handmaid's tale which has Mm -hmm. become very popular because of uh series on I I don't know what uh, streaming channel it's on maybe Hulu or something like that and um, but I mean it was a book written in the 80s sort of like a a dystopian future uh, story that uh, just you know propelled her to sort of international acclaim as a novelist but um, then she just released the sequel to this uh, fairly recently so you know, nearly 30 years after the first, and um, it sort of follows the children of the main characters from that particular story. So anyway, it's it's uh, both books are just phenomenal and um, like classic pieces of if you want to call it sort of dystopian future uh, literature um, that explore all kinds of themes that are super relevant today. So that's what I'm I'm reading right now. I'm a fiction guy, you know, like I don't read a lot of self-help books anymore if you want to call it that or even business books or anything like that you know at this point in my career if I want to sharpen the business saw I'm going to go go to work you know I'm going to go to business uh and and talk to other people in the arena um so most of my reading is is fiction um and uh with that said though you know one of the reasons that I, I do that is intentional because I think you can pick up a lot from fiction reading if you read it with a specific intention. Um, I don't know if you've had the chance to read David Epstein's book Range yet. No, have you or not? No, not okay. yet. So it's 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 probably one of the best nonfiction books I've read in quite a long time. And in it he argues that the people who are best prepared to be successful in 
multi, you know, sort of multifaceted domain of life. Um, nowadays are the people who have range. So rather than being specialists who think about one thing all the time, focused all their energy on one thing, they've um, had a weird set of twisting, turny life experiences that have brought all these things together to impart this kind of wisdom and this this way of thinking. I I think of it as like analogy-based thinking, Mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, I have a problem to solve here. Oh, that reminds me of a problem in this other completely unrelated field. And when I tell people how I'm going to solve this problem in our field, based on this thing from this other field, they're going to think I'm kind of strange, you know? But some of the best ideas aren't new innovations. They're just the applications of things from other spaces into this space where they haven't been tried before. So for me, like reading about the thing that I'm thinking about at work or the particular uh, growth project that I'm working on um, is anti-range. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just like stewing in the same pot all day long. And I think there's all kinds of other ideas in all these other pots. And if you don't uh, spend time visiting these other places, uh, you won't have anything innovative to bring to bear to your new challenges and opportunities. So uh, it's a little bit of a defense of my reading of fiction (laughs) here, but also an argument for it because I know a lot of people who are really single-minded and focused and they think fiction reading is kind of a waste of time. Why would I read some made-up stories when I can read someone telling me how to crush the competition or whatever <laughs> and uh and i'm like oh no no no, that's the wrong way to think of it entirely uh you can find all kinds of innovations uh in fiction or in other fields that aren't relevant to what you're thinking about right now and uh, my friend Stu mcmillan who runs altis which is one of the top track and field uh training centers in the world um says this all the time when people are like what coaching books do you read he's like none but everything i read is a coaching book in other words everything i learn gets run through the filter of coaching and informs my philosophy and my my paradigm Hmm. so now i'm kind of curious about like at what point in your career where you're like you know what i'm getting more out of fiction books than reading another book on how to organize my workspace or whatever it is (laughs) <laughs> um, I, it's really been my whole life. I mean, I I have had a proclivity for reading fiction since I was young, and I never found as much enjoyment in reading other stuff. It's not to say I haven't. I've read countless books on philosophy and psychology and history, and you know, tons of nonfiction. But um, I I actually realized in my 20s, and I I don't know the neurophysiology of this, there there may be none, you know, I may just be making this up, but um, when I'm reading fiction, in addition to anything else I'm reading, or if I'm reading nothing else, and and I'm just doing stuff with my life rather than consuming, um, I find that my brain is lit up in a different way. Like when I'm with other people, my thinking is more fluid and flexible. When I'm working, I'm more open to novel solutions. There's something about being immersed in fiction, and maybe it's just the way I read fiction, that makes me feel like a better person, like closer to the kind of person I want to be all the time. And sometimes, you know, like you get busy and you're not really thinking, oh, how is fiction like embedded in my life today, right? And I won't be reading anything, and there might be a long stretch. Like when I was writing my latest book, I I was reading very little. I was just 
creating every day. And there'll come a point where I'm like, something feels off and I can't tell what it is. And then I'll, then it'll occur to me, you know, after ruminating over it for a few days, I'm not reading any fiction. That's what it is. I got to get back into it. So I learned this pretty early on. I'm just not my best self when I'm not, you know, playing with these neurons on a regular basis. No, it makes sense because, like, for me, like, I love reading, like, self-help books, professional development. Like, I I just love learning more. But, like, when I think back when I, you know, went through the Harry Potter series, like, I get so emotionally connected to certain characters. And, like, looking Mm -hmm. just at, like, Harry's story, the amount of loss that he has. And I started thinking about it this actually the other day, and I'm like, the amount of things that clients lose throughout their life, if they're going through divorce, they lose a loved one, and it's a constant like roller coaster. And I'm like, you're living like the life of Harry. Like he loses everybody <laughs> in that story. Yes. And I'm like, this is where fiction can like go across into what you do for work. Yeah, I love that example because it it's it's really kind of the it's so far afield. You're like you're like Harry Potter. You're like, wait, why? <laughs> yeah. Why is my fitness and nutrition coach telling me I'm like Harry Potter? Yeah. Um, but this is how humans make sense of the world. It's often through analogy because when we're in the midst of a new scenario, we don't have frameworks to understand what's happening. So we grasp around for other frameworks that we've experienced before. And we're like, oh, this thing is kind of like that thing. Now it makes more sense to me now. And that's why the idea of range is so powerful because when there are a lot of that things that you've experienced, I mean, this is fundamentally uh, what some people think the source of wisdom is, that you've experienced a lot of that things. So when a bunch of this things come up, you have all kinds of like, I don't know, hats or outfits to try on them or whatever to make sense of them. So, you know, this is, and, and there's other ways to get it, right? Reading outside of your field, going out and having experiences that are novel and interesting, having a weird, eclectic set of hobbies, uh, and, and also reading fiction. You know, these are all ways of getting analogies that you can use to make sense of all the things that are happening in your life that are novel or new experiences or you haven't had to make sense of before. And um, so, I mean, I, I'm just a huge fan of that. And, and it's really interesting because I'm a very linear thinker in a lot of uh, my work practices and and a lot of the projects that I work on, um, but I'm not linear at all when I'm seeking out growth. It's like the linear path is the least interesting to me because I know there's just such diminishing returns. Like if you've read one great self-help book, like the marginal gain by the time you get to the fifth one is so small it's not really worth having read you know yeah. and um and it, it's very much like uh recently you know i posted about how the latest netflix documentary of the day that was getting everyone in an uproar that i, I don't bother watching them you know i okay. i i just look at the source literature you know what's published but in the research journals uh, and then when it's time to sit down and be entertained by a, a video of some kind, I actually choose real entertainment, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, I watch a uh, historical documentary or I'll watch stand-up comedy or something that's different. Like, why would I spend all my time all day thinking about nutrition, for example? And then when I finally get a break, watch a video that's designed to entertain me about nutrition, you know? Yeah. That is... That's anti-range. 
You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. anti-breadth. That's anti-wisdom. Uh, wisdom only comes when you play in these other spaces. So this was supposed to be one of those easy, warm-up, flowy questions. <laughs> know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and here we go, 15 minutes later, yeah. we're, we're mining the depths of our worldviews. Oh, man. Yeah, like I was going to be like, oh, we should probably go into the next question. But now, <laughs> now the next question is going to be, like, what's the current TV series you're watching? Um, I just watched The Rise of the Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. um, which was awesome, really well done. So it sort of traces, um, you know, how how the Ottomans uh, took over Constantinople, became Istanbul at that point, and um, and what it, you know, it's like a six-part, uh, really well done series that uh, dramatizes the events as if it was a movie. But then they have like historians. Uh, at just the right amount, because this could be too much at times if, if they did it wrong, um, commenting you know, mm-hmm. on the events that were taking place. And I thought it was just beautifully done, well-produced, really engrossing, and a, and a great piece of, you know, or a great treatment of history. So that's, that's, I just finished that last night. Okay, awesome. And then last easy question is, what do you got planned for the weekend? <laughs> planned for the weekend? Um... I don't know if we have plans. It's Wednesday. Uh, we will, and we have four children. Yeah. They're nine, seven, five, and three. So every weekend is planned the same. <laughs> uh, we go to some parks and play for a few hours. We eat some lunch. We go to some other park and play for a few <laughs> hours. So basically, we're we're spending the winter in Arizona, so we could be outside. Yeah. I mean, the weather here is phenomenal right now. So yeah, we'll be outside all weekend playing at parks. Uh, our seven-year-old just got um, a hoverboard, so you know those little nice. uh, two-wheel board, and so he's super into that. So he and I are trying to get better at it. So we'll probably hoverboard around a park and play some basketball and some soccer and play on some jungle gyms. Nice. So I'm kind of curious, like, what made you want to go out towards Arizona and leave, you know, wintry Canada? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a really hard, tough decision to make. Uh, now, my wife and I, Amanda, had been threatening this for years. And, you know, uh, for the last nine and a half years, mostly we've had infants, right? So the idea of, of traveling and not being around family and friends and our, our normal routine made it feel difficult to try something like this mm-hmm. but our youngest is now three and she can actually contribute rather than uh, kind of just be a drain on the fun <laughs> uh so we decided we were going to give it a try and and i mean obviously number one is the weather number two is we're an outside family you know we love the outdoors we love hiking and biking mountain biking and all that stuff um so i mean i don't know that there's a better better climate for january february march uh in the states than here yeah i mean even southern california it's kind of breezy mid 60s mm-hmm. i mean throughout all of january i think the average daytime temperature here was 70 degrees fahrenheit wow. so i mean and i think we had one not sunny day in january so the weather's great it suits our family lifestyle wanting to be outdoors and play you know uh, Amanda and I go hiking every Wednesday when we drop the kids off at school, and then we go as a family once on the weekend, so we get two big hikes in a week. Um, and then just the diversity of people and experiences and animals. And uh, we were going the other day to feed some 
some goats, uh, the kids. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, like just running down the street uh, was just a coyote, which we wouldn't see one at home typically. And we saw a bobcat the other day. And it was kind of different animals, different plants, different landscapes. It's just a really great learning experience for the kids. And I think part of, uh, aside from the actual concrete things, you know, that are different, uh, it's been my experience that with children, when you take them out of the normal space of their life and the normal routines, they grow tremendously. Um, and so we notice that every time we do something different like this, uh, they just thrive. Their brains have to you know, look for new connections and they have to develop in different ways. So just this simple act of doing something different, I think, is a huge boon for our family. I love it. Um, now that kind of gets me into my next question of like, how are you parenting your kids now that you're like, I would say this like titan of the nutrition industry? Because I always like chatting with people on my podcast that have kids that are in the nutrition or fitness industry. And I'm always wondering like, how do you, you know, mold your kid to grow up with out any kind of issues with food or issues with mm-hmm. like weight because like you know training clients you see it all the time they do like yo-yo diets and then their kid picks up on that and then like I had an experience a couple of years ago where I got to speak to a high school and one particular class it was all girls all 14 and like before I even started my presentation I'm like okay who here has done a diet everyone's mm-hmm. hand went up. I'm like, you're 14. Why are you mm-hmm. going on a diet, right? So I'm not kind of curious, like, how are you going to mold your kids to kind of grow up with, like, a little bit better relationship with fitness mm-hmm. and health? Yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> I think you have to use, like, the physician motto of first do no harm, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I think you're hinting at a little bit with the direction of question. It's not how will you teach them to be healthy, it's how will you not ruin them because yeah. of all your knowledge of health, right? So that so first part is do no harm. The second, it, it just kind of reminds me, I remember this experience a few years ago, you just triggered it for me. So uh, we were out at like a festival uh, with uh, some friends and, and uh, their children who are about the same age as our children. And uh, the woman, the mom was like, oh gosh, my brother-in-law's here and it's really awkward because um, you know, he split up with, you know, my sister and now he's married to someone new, but the kids are cousins. And uh, she was like just fretting, right? She just saw him and just like the emotion was pouring out. And I, I, I wasn't trying to be like the Oracle or whatever, you know, I, I just, the first thing that occurred to me was like, oh yeah, well, I don't know. I, you can avoid him, but things are only as awkward as, as you make them. And I was like, that's really like a life lesson, I think. <laughs> Things are only as awkward as you make them. So food will always be, only, it'll only be as awkward as you make it. You allow it to be. You know, fitness, the same. So that's, we have a super no big deal attitude about food. There's a couple general things we do at our house. You know, one is, you know, we feed the children at appointed meal times, right? But not everyone's hungry. I'm not always hungry at the same time, you know? So forcing them to eat at that time because we have some rigid definition of of meal times uh, doesn't respect their autonomy, doesn't respect what we know about appetite awareness, nothing, right? So the idea that we're going to be like, don't move until you finish your food is absurd, right? So we have very fluid meal times. We serve meals around the same time, 
But then we just let them sit. If the kids don't eat, we're like, cool, you won't get any snacks tonight until that dinner's finished, but you can eat that dinner whenever you want. Uh, at our house back in Canada, we actually put a low counter. It's like kid size, kid height in the kitchen. And sometimes the meals will sit there for an hour or two and the kids will just come back and pick at them over time, right? So it's super no big deal. You know, it's just a reminder though, like if, if you don't finish your dinner, you won't get a little snack before bed or whatever. You'll have to finish the, the cold dinner at that point. But the rest of it is non-judgmental, no big deal. You know, another thing we generally do is we don't restrict sugar, carbohydrates, fats, any of that kind of stuff. But what we do is at our main meals, we feed them fruits, vegetables, and quality sources of protein, right? Uh, and, and we generally don't put a lot of carbs in our breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Is that because we want our kids on a low-carb diet? No, not at all. They can eat the carbs, and they do eat the carbs between meals. Um, I always tell the story, like, I realized this one day when you know, we pulled up next to another minivan with, and it had some friends of ours in it at, like, a store. Mm-hmm. And um, the parents were just chatting for a few minutes, and then they left. And I turn around, and all our kids are eating goldfish crackers. But we don't have goldfish crackers. <laughs> I'm like, how did, how did a goldfish transaction occur? In the five minutes we were talking, and is this one I realized like kids will find sugars and carbs. They're everywhere, so will adults for that matter. Mm-hmm. They're ubiquitous. Uh, I don't want to ever restrict them. So if we know they're going to get plenty of them already, just in the comings and goings of their lives, uh, why not just feed them the other things they won't get in those moments? Like no one's going to be like, hey, uh, Graydon, our five-year-old, Here's a chicken breast. You know what I mean? He's, he's going to get something that's not a chicken breast. That's not protein, you know? Would you like some broccoli from my bag of broccoli here? Um, so we feed fruits, vegetables, and proteins at the meals, and then they get the carbs and, and the rest throughout the rest of the day. And what it, it ends up being a balanced diet. Um, so th- those are generally the, the things that we do. There's really not a lot more discussion about that. We remind the kids that colorful plates, you know, and the colors coming from natural and processed foods is probably a little bit better than not colorful plates. Um, and that's kind of it. And literally the first time our kids have had like uh, more rules than that came up this week because our nine-year-old in class, they're doing like a statewide health and fitness challenge or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's its something like five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, zero sugary drinks, um, screen time less than two hours, one hour physical activity, and I th- there's one other thing, I forget what it was, and I was like, wow, it, it just occurred to me, I'm like, this is her first exposure to more rules mm-hmm. about health and fitness. And it's, it, and, and I'm okay with it, but I'm like, I have to do some contextualization here, you know? Because when she's filling it out, she, you know, she's in programs and we go play all the time. So she's like three hours of physical activity a day, you know? Yeah. Our kids are getting, you know, 11 to 15,000 steps a day. Um, you know, sugary drinks, she's like, I don't think I had one this month. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
screen time that that's that's an area where we always have an ongoing discussion in our house and fruits and vegetables she's never counted them in her life but she gets probably 10 servings a day you know so it was really interesting to be like hey these are the minimums buddy you know and i don't even think it's really important to count these things so much you know our rules are just you know we eat a couple times a day eat when you're hungry don't eat when you're not um fruits, vegetables, lots of colors and protein at your meals. And then let's put our energy into uh, learning and growing and being a great family rather than uh, worrying about food for any more minutes than we need to worry about food. You know, and that's really the thesis here. Like um, people get screwed up when they think about food more than is appropriate to think about food, right? We can talk about all the various rules and all this other stuff and the damage they do, but think about the number of minutes someone who has an unhealthy relationship with food spends thinking about food in a day, and it's disproportionate to the other things that would be way more enriching. So that's really what we're hoping for here. Let's not think about food much at all. Let's just have like a nice groundwork for like what are good choices and then let's go do some math or some reading or some playing, you know? No, that makes sense. And I think, like, you hit the nail, the hammer with the nail or whatever the analogy is. <laughs> but, um, like, I, even as adults, people get obsessed with always thinking about food. And even when I get, like, I get introduced to someone new and they find out that I'm a coach, they, like, give me this huge list of all these questions about food. And I'm just like... Man, like, if I was you and I was thinking, like, 90% of the day about, like, what I'm going to eat next or if this is okay to eat or am I going to bloat if I eat this, if my whole, like, progress is going to go down the drain if I eat past 6 p.m., like, I would be miserable. And I'm like, nutrition shouldn't be, like, that difficult. Like, spend time, like you said, on other things that are going to be, like, value to your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's easier said than done, right? Because who knows what people's emotional yeah. attachments to uh, the outcome of the, the eating, you know, whether it's body image or whatever, you know, uh, usually people aren't worried about the eating. Uh, uh, I, I won't, let me take that back. There's a small portion of people who focus excessively on nutrition who are actually worried about food. The rest is something else, right? Mm -hmm. Like a different level discomfort, a body image discomfort, or if if we're talking about bloating, that's always an interesting one to me because I'm like, bloating means different things to different people. It's it's one of my pet peeves when someone's like, oh, when I eat that, I bloat. So I'm like, what? But okay, do you mean your belly fills up with gas and you fart a lot? Because that's different than like holding water, edema. You know what I mean? Like yeah. getting swollen from excess fluid in your body. And that's different from uh, I get constipated and I can't poop and, yeah. and therefore I feel full in my stomach. So we got to figure out what bloating means. But anyway, side note. Um, yeah, I think um, I think uh, sometimes we need to reorient people to the bigger picture. And I talk about it as zooming in, zooming out. And, and my analogy is, uh, if you've ever gone to Google Earth and you 
or, or Google Maps and you've taken the satellite view and then you you know how you can zoom right in on someone's yeah. house like you see their pool and their barbecue grill in their backyard <laughs> or whatever and then you can zoom out and you can look at the re- like the neighborhood that they're in and then you can zoom out some more and see the town and the city and then the state and then the country uh, the ability to zoom in and zoom out of your life, you know, your inner life, your work life, your health is so crucial. And people who are bombarding you with those nutrition questions, at that moment, they're looking at the barbecue grill in the backyard. They've satellited down to the most granular level. And that's important at times for decision making. But equally important is this ability to zoom out and say, well, where does this live in a landscape of my town in the context of the larger geography of my life and that for me is you know if they're not equally thinking about getting to bed on time and getting appropriate amounts of sleep if they're not equally thinking about stress management if they're not equally thinking about movement then there's no amount of discussion about food that we we can help them get on track if the other things are not uh, handled in some way, this isn't ever going to be handled. So um, for me, that's the zoomed out perspective. When you zoom out of the granulars, when you look at the whole town, the city, the country, uh, you can see that these things are equally, if not more important, and they also influence. They're not independent, right? So whether you're sleeping well and managing stress well and moving will actually influence all the drivers of what you eat and vice versa. So. You know, I love to help people when they get really frenzied about the details. Um, go, hey, this is our zoomed-in perspective. Let's let's play the Google satellite game and zoom out and look at where us all should really fit, and then we can come up with a plan based on that. No, I really like that analogy, and like it kind of falls into what I've been talking about lately on my show and to my clients, like this idea of like longevity, like whatever mm-hmm. you choose today to start your fitness journey or you're changing things up because you feel like whatever you were doing before wasn't working like think long term think longevity like are you going to still be doing this approach 10 years from now is it going to get you to your goal is it going to make you feel good do you have peace of mind and i'm like longevity should almost be like your number one priority Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'd add some nuance to that because, you know, people who come from sort of the, the same philosophy that informs precision nutrition, for example, mm-hmm. um, say this a lot. It's not, you know, what diet's best. It's what diet you can stick to in the long haul. But the fact of the matter is if you examine your life and I examine my life, have you been doing the same way of eating for 10 years? I haven't. Yeah. So it's... It's a well-intended framework, but it's not exactly true to life. You know what I mean? Like stuff comes up all the time that does require it to change. So if you know eating for the next eight weeks isn't the right way to frame it, and eating for the next 10 years isn't the right way to frame it, is there a better way, something in between? Is it five years? Maybe it's not even time-based. Maybe it's, you know, what's the plan? And my favorite way of saying it is uh, when we come up with a, let's say, health, fitness, 
nutrition, whatever intervention for you, it has to be one that you can do on your worst day, not just your best day. You know, so what's your worst day look like? I don't know, there's major traffic, so you end up late for work, and then one of your children is sick, and then, you know, everything that you planned to get that hour and a half workout in conspires against that. So can your plan accommodate your worst day, not just be what you do on your best day? And so that allows for the granularity of today. In other words, it matters on Tuesday, you know, because Tuesday's gonna happen. But it also allows the flexibility of the long term because we know if it's something you can do on your worst day, a lot of worst days will come up. And then there's also best days where you might add a little bit of extra. But those are the, this is what allows it to be sustainable until you need to change it. You see what I mean? Yeah, I like it. I love it. Almost everything you could like say are just like knowledge bombs. It's great. <laughs> um, the next thing I kind of want to get into now that we're kind of talking about nutrition is like your current nutrition thoughts because I find that just the nutrition industry itself, like there's always new things coming in and out. People's opinions are all over the place on the internet. So I'm kind of curious, like your opinion on the nutrition industry on a whole right now. And then what are you doing personally for your own nutrition? Yeah. I mean, so we can talk about the industry and again, we'll do zoom in, zoom out, right? Zoom in. It's as annoying as it's ever been, right? There's infighting and conflicting ideas and all that, but that's no different. Uh, Young people often think that uh, the world was invented for them, and therefore the problems that are occurring today are really unique. Oh, the political system, it's the worst it's ever been. The nutrition, it's the worst it's ever been. False and false. (laughs) All you have to do is go back just a couple generations and see that it was way worse politically, you know? Uh, America, as an example, like one of my favorite things to tell people to do is if you think right now American politics and leadership is the worst it's ever been, go watch Ken Burns' documentary on Vietnam. Uh, Now, it's huge. It's a huge investment. It's like a 20-hour series. Um, But what used to happen in the White House was they used to have the White House phone recording every presidential conversation. So, and, and these conversations are all available in the public domain. Like there's literally a website you and I could go back to right now and listen to every conversation uh, JFK had when he was in office on the telephone at the White House. Um, and um, when you hear some of these private conversations, you're like, oh, these are way worse than what's happening now. It's just now they say them out loud and on the microphone and then they were doing it privately, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I mean, I, I feel like nutrition today is confusing as it's ever been, but no more so. I think that it's easy to be annoyed if you're only zoomed in. But if you zoom out, I'm encouraged by it all. I'm encouraged by the fact that more people are caring about what they eat than ever before, and that's showing up in my grocery store. Like nowadays, there are options if I want to eat organic, if I think that's important. I'm not suggesting that I think it is the end-all be-all, but it's available if I think that's important. I can find some versions of nearly every product that I'm eating 
in, in most towns, like not all, but most in America, uh, that don't have additives and junk that I don't want in it. Uh, this is all led by the very things we're annoyed about. You know, when there's a documentary that doesn't fully align with my personal belief systems, I'm super mad and I wish that documentary would be erased from the earth. Uh, but it's this general sort of mass awareness of healthy choices that makes more products available to us, that makes us have the ability to choose. Uh, that I mean, for me, like I'm, I'm lactose intolerant and I have a dairy allergy, so I have to just not eat anything that comes from dairy, right? Um, I can go to nearly any ice cream shop in Scottsdale and get dairy-free ice cream now. That's so great. Yeah. The only reason that's possible is because there's a much bigger national conversation about food than there's ever been. So again, zoomed in, easy to be annoyed. Zoomed out, there's some real positives to what's happening right now. So that's kind of how I feel. I feel like the fitness industry, for all of its f faults and flaws, is moving in the right direction. It's progressing. People are growing up. It's becoming a more mature industry as maturity does, you know? Um, and, uh, and I think this, the, and the same thing's happening in food. Is it perfect? No, it will never be perfect. It will always be flawed. And when we're zoomed in, we'll always find those flaws. But once in a while, we have to zoom out and find what's good about it too. And I think there's a lot of good to be said about it. So that's my take on the industry. I think it's hopeful and it's positive and it's mm -hmm. trending in the right direction. Um, in my personal nutrition, I, I don't know if you've read about my saga with autoimmune disease, which I've posted about on the socials, but you know, uh, a year and a half ago I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, so it was my sort of first foray into uh, using nutrition to deal with it. So I followed the autoimmune protocol, which is essentially just like a strict elimination diet. Right, so there's you basically eat proteins, certain vegetables, um, and avoid a lot of other things, and um, and I had a really positive experience with it. You know, the my autoimmune disease is psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, so I get skin lesions and I get um, debilitating joint pain. And when I started following the autoimmune diet, did nothing for my lesions, so no effect there, but my joint pain went away very, very quickly. Um, so it was almost miraculous. I was like, it went, uh, in two weeks, I went from, you know, not being able to squat 135 because it felt like someone was jamming knives into my knees every time they bent and extended, um, to uh, ramping up very quickly in my squats to, you know, 450 for a couple of reps. Uh, now, I've lifted heavy before so it's these aren't you know newbie gains or whatever right like I've squatted heavy before but uh, I mean it was it was like two months where that kind of progression happened um, so for me I, my diet's really really simple um, I eat two meals a day of protein and veggies um, I usually have a protein and greens drink somewhere in between there and then on training days usually after my training after my protein and veggies I have a big bowl of dairy-free ice cream nice. nuts uh, 
almond butter, some fruits, and some dark chocolate. And uh, that's my diet. I think about it as little as I can, you know, as little as possible. It's really, really simple. Uh, I have a great rotation, you know, and it doesn't feel at all restrictive. Now, the ice cream thing wouldn't have been on the autoimmune protocol, but what you could do in the autoimmune protocol is you start to add foods back in and figure out which ones cause problems and which ones don't. And for me, if I eliminate all sources of dairy, and I mean like any little trace bits of dairy, and oddly, it, you find it everywhere, you know, like uh, my wife brought home some slices of uncured salami recently, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, milk ingredients. I'm like, what? <laughs> How'd they find a way to put milk in my salami? Okay, I can't eat this, right? So, um, and soy. So if I avoid dairy and soy, that's like 90% of the battle for me, which I'm super lucky. Like some people maybe have to uh, eliminate gluten and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, so I'm like, you know, in terms of autoimmune diseases, I got the best one. You know? <laughs> I'm really lucky. All I need to do to manage it is, um, you know, avoid dairy and soy and eat loads of vegetables and protein. And then uh, I have to expose, for the lesions, I have to expose my skin to UVB light, um, which is basically, it's like uh, what I bought was, a, it looks like a single pane tanning bed. Mm-hmm. And you hang it on the wall. And it emits UVB. The the normal light spectrum is A and B. Um, A is like the cancer causing stuff, and B actually is what burns you. It doesn't tan you at all, but it also produces most of the vitamin D that you get from sunlight. So it actually, uh, a lot of people think it's the UVB that causes like a big influx of vitamin D at the skin level, and that's what combats the lesions of psoriasis. So anyway, if I just expose myself to a little bit of UVB every couple days, then I'm good. So uh, really, diet is pretty straightforward. It's autoimmune with a few treats added in that I like that I'm not sensitive to. Awesome. All right. Um, now the next thing I kind of want to get into now that, you know, 2019 is behind us, I was kind of curious what were kind of your highlights of the year, both professionally and personally. Um, so I, I released my book called Changemaker, Turn Your Passion for Health and Fitness into a Powerful Purpose and a Wildly Successful Career. Um, that it, it really was a milestone moment for me. Uh, not everyone knows this, although I've talked about it, but not everyone follows my life so closely they know everything, which is great. Um, but, you know, I sold my ownership of Precision Nutrition back in late 2017. Phil, co-founder, and I did. Um, it was a great decision for us and for the company. Um, and I knew exactly what my next project would be. It would be to capture everything that I think I've learned over the last 30 years in the industry um, at this absolutely perfect time to do it. You know, like I had just sold the company that I built my reputation on. Um, the company's continuing to thrive, so we set it up, put it in a really great place to continue to be successful. Um, who knows if I'm going to do any more in the field of health and fitness? You know, I, I have other interests and other projects that I'm working on completely outside of this. Again, it's the concept of range. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, if I don't do anything more in health and fitness, and I may, but if I don't, I'd love to leave it with this book, which contains everything I think I've learned. Um, so that project took quite a while to put together. Uh, it's surprisingly hard to capture everything you think you've learned. Um, 
And so that released in November uh, of 2019. And uh, I'm extremely proud of the project. I think the book, uh, I had two goals for it. I want to authentically capture everything I know about the field. Um, and when I say authentically, I'm really intentional about that. Like, there's a lot of stuff you can just blurt out that like is influenced by a lot of the discussions and conversations of the day. Uh, I think we're all a product of our environment. And so when people write business books, those books are influenced by what's going on today and what people are saying is important. And no one's immune to that. So it was really difficult for me to write this book because every day at the end of the day, I'm like, did I really do this at the early stages of my career? And do I think it mattered? Or am I just saying this because it's popular to say and I've been influenced by that? You know, mm -hmm. and so it was like a real wrestling match every day. But at, my goal was authentically capture what I did and what I think mattered, um, and then make a beautiful book that people are going to want to hold, they want to go through, they're going to want to do the exercises so that they can level up their own careers rather than just read and consume passively. And so uh, that's what I think we did. I mean, it's a, it's as good of a piece of work as I could have done at this stage in my career. So I'm extremely proud of it. So really that was my highlight. Um, all the work that went into uh, putting out Changemaker and then launching it to a very good reception. No, like honestly it was one of the best books I've read because like, I remember when Chris Scott Dixon sent me a copy, I was so psyched to start reading it. And I think like the biggest thing that almost like any person can walk away with it is like figuring out like the whole idea of your unique abilities like you can mm -hmm. translate that to anything you do in life and you know at the gym that I work at right now I'm taking a handful of coaches through a mentorship and I was like when I was reading your book I'm like everyone needs to read this like mm -hmm. and like it makes so much sense honestly yeah I mean thank you I appreciate that and I agree not because I wrote it but because this is what I had to do myself mm -hmm. to figure out my place, you know, to figure out how to be uh, contented with my work, happy with my work, and make a contribution, you know. And for those who haven't read it, you know, the idea is, um, you know, if you're in a position in the world and in your life to create your career, not everyone is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there are people in the world who are lucky to have some kind of employment at the very minimum of pay. But if you live in North America and you listen to podcasts and this is a podcast you listen to and you can afford to think about what food you're going to eat this week and what gym you're going to work out at, you're probably in a position uh, where you can think about how to create your career. Well, to begin that, you have to do some deep introspective work. And I call this work purpose, unique abilities, and values. And you've heard it all before, and I know people are going to be like, yeah, yeah, I, heard, I know that. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> you, you don't know that until you do it. I thought I knew it too. And as I talk about in the book, I fell into the depths of a depression because I was running a company, Precision Nutrition. I was, by every measure, successful, and I hated my work. I hated my days. And it was because I was being dragged into, I was permitting this to happen, work that wasn't my unique abilities and wasn't within my value set. And it's tricky because it was within my purpose. 
You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. precision nutrition's purpose was essentially an extension of my purpose. So I'm working at my purpose, but I wasn't in my unique abilities and I wasn't within my value system. And that's a real tricky place to be in. And a lot of people find themselves there. They're working in the fitness industry and they're like, I should love this. It's my purpose. Why am I sad every day? And the answer is because you haven't figured out your unique abilities and how to use them in service of your purpose. And I define unique abilities as you know, you know, the things that you can or are, can be or are world class at, the things that you actually enjoy doing and can see yourself wanting to get better at for the rest of your career, and the things that actually make a difference on whatever your metrics and meaning are, whether that's financial and it's a business metric. Uh, whether that's reach or impact or making a difference, however you define it. So that's your unique abilities, you know, and it's these, for a lot of people, it's a weird set of oddities that all come together to make this swirling idea of you. And then the last thing is your values. You know, what are your barriers? What are the guardrails for not only how you'll make ethical decisions, but how you'll use your time? You know, is is family really important to you? If you say that, does it show up in your schedule? You know, for me, it's it's three things. Like it's family, whatever project I'm working on at the time, it was precision nutrition work, um, and it's my own self care. And anything else is a no. But until you define these things, like write them out with the help of others, and then you, and this is the most crucial part: you post it where you work every day. So that you can see it. Because here's the thing. Every day you forget what they are. Every day some social media influence or some news influence or some person you care about enters into your mind space and makes it confusing again. What should I be focused on again? What's my purpose again? What are my unique abilities again? What should I say yes to and no to again? Every day you forget. And so for me, I've had it posted out on my wall so I can look at it. And every time I forget, I get to be reminded. So, yeah, I mean, I I love that you really like that part. It really kind of, I I, I don't want to be too dramatic and say it saved my life at some point in my career, but it certainly saved my peace of mind. And, um, and again, it's not made up. Like, this is what we then went on to do for every team member at Precision Nutrition. And it's now what I teach to everyone else. This is like road-tested stuff. You know, all the questions have been asked a lot of times. <laughs> and people are figuring out their careers, you know, at least within my sphere of influence, every day using this stuff. And as you see, there, there are worksheets that you download yeah. and do. This isn't just... Um, sit in lotus pose and think this is like you got to do stuff and you and and you're not going to be the best at doing it all and you got to recruit the people around you who can help see you objectively to come up with this stuff as well yeah and i really liked it because it's like i i automatically thought of myself probably seven years ago when i kind of felt stuck in my career and and like when i was reading this book i'm like man i wish i had this seven years ago i would have been like so far ahead but like people get into positions where they're just like going through the motions they're like why am i even doing this i don't even want to get out of bed and it's like you take the time just a little bit to figure out what you're really good at and yeah. implement that to your daily routine of whatever you're doing for work or your career. Like it makes a huge difference. 
Yeah, and you know what? Like I, it, the whole like that idea of I wish I had X when I was just starting out is super popular. I've thought it many times. Everyone thinks it. You know, the question just is, would I have appreciated X when I was just starting out? Like, was I at the mental space to be able to even know what value this would be? A and B, like it's probably not as easy to do purpose, unique abilities, and values work when you're 21 and you haven't seen much of the world yet. And, and it's not that 21 year olds can't see much of the world. It's just that a lot of them have been in school their whole lives to that point. They haven't. Um, and, uh, I got lots of my, lots of love in my heart for 21 year olds, you know, and I, and I think they should do these activities, but they should see them as the very first rough drafts of themselves, not as the finished product. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, no, I don't know. It's probably okay if some people missed out on it when they were younger in their career because they might not have been able to answer these questions um, yet, uh, even with the help of people around them. Maybe a little bit of life experience is required, but on the flip side, hey, it would be great to even be intentional about thinking of them, even if you don't have the answers yet, because going out to find them purposefully and intentionally uh, there's something to be said about that as well. I don't know how to answer this, but I'm going to spend the next five years figuring out how to answer this. Awesome. So maybe for the last question, because we're coming up to our time, um, if people wanted to find out more about you and what you do, where can they find you and any other projects or things that you want to plug on my show, you can right now. Um, well, people can come see me at johnbrody.com now. I have that for the first time in a really long time. Nice. I started my career... Uh, online, that is, in like 2002 um, with a johnbrody.com, and then eventually that just pointed to precisionnutrition.com. But now I've taken back the John Berardi moniker, and I have all the various things that I'm up to outside of precision nutrition now, including, you know, the new change maker stuff, and uh, there'll be some other stuff coming soon. Like I'm working on a bunch of other projects, and this isn't pluggy, it's just to, uh, show that I'm serious about this idea of range. I'm, I'm writing some children's books right now. Cool. Um, and yeah, I'm just really exploring um, being a beginner again. You know, it's, it's a really interesting feeling to know that I have all the skills required to be successful in anything I want to go out and do. And this just is, this isn't motivational poster slogan stuff. I've actually earned the right to say that over the last 30 years, you know, through a lot of education and a lot of uh, being in the seat where you have to make decisions. So it's really neat to show up in new spaces and say, um, I have all the confidence of a veteran, but all the knowledge of a beginner. And that's great. I can figure, I can figure that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have decision-making skills and uh, the ability to learn. So that's really the domains I'm playing in right now. So I don't have anything to plug. If, if folks want to find out more about me, uh, they can come check out johnbrody.com. And if they're interested in nutrition, they can jump off from there to go see Precision Nutrition. If they're interested in health and fitness career stuff, they can go check out Changemaker Academy in my book. Um, and if not, that's okay too because I'm, I'm in this really great place right now where I'm just... Uh, I do podcasts like this to just share what I've learned. It's more of a legacy thing, a contribution thing, than a I got something to sell thing. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. 
Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. For those who listened, the I'm coming up on an hour now, the full hour. Thank you for spending time with us today. I hope we provided some value for you. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 302 with Dr. John Brardy. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Like It was such a surreal experience, and I am so grateful to have him on my show and spend an hour with me. Oh, man, this is freaking awesome. So thank you so much for the support, you guys. Hit the show notes, add me on Facebook, give me a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen your to your podcasts, whether that is SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, whatever it is, give me that five-star rating so we can reach more people and yeah that's about it you guys that's all i got for you crush this motherfucking week you guys are amazing thank you thank you thank you until next time you guys